you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. It's kind of funny. I don't think I'm quite Seth Brundle, but it never matters to me what I wear. Well, not never. Most of the time, it's just fine pants and shirt that kind of match. They have a common color, whatever like that, but I've I've worked on uh, having most things in my closet not be special occasion things or things I wear all the time. And so I select a pair of lounge pants and I select <laughs> a shirt. And and I know, I just like I said, I haven't gotten to that point of I have 10 white shirts and 10 black pants and you just choose the next one in a row. Right, right. But I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> right. Uh, I always said when I was younger, um, as long as I have a pair of jeans, I, I don't care what my shirt is because everything goes with a pair of jeans. Yeah. You know, what's funny is all through college and, and after getting out of college, I wore jeans all the time. And then something just one day clicked over in me. And I said, you know, I'm going to try some Dockers because I, I don't know, I don't think I was going to like apply for a place that was, of course, the blue shirt and tan Dockers required uniform. But I just at least I knew I'd be able to get other colors besides right, blue right and then also they, they they wore very well and i discovered that i liked them so then i got you know i found the dockers that fit me and then i got half a dozen pairs in different colors and i just kind of abandoned jeans and especially when i started when you go on hikes it was like well i should have jeans on because they're you know invulnerable you can get scraped on rocks and stuff right. but then you read about cotton is rotten and should best be forgotten and that you know, jeans really are bad if you get wet because they will yeah. just suck the heat yeah. out of you while they're drying you or you're drying them is a better way to put it. Right. And so, I don't know. Now I have a couple pair, but I only kind of break them out when it's, I don't even know. It's not like a special occasion for jeans. I just turned my face away. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the cargo pants. I was big on the, the pants of holding. <laughs> That's Absolutely. The- See, and I, I, I boy... I used to love going to the Army Navy store because not only did they have those kind of pants, but they almost always have them in my size. You know, there's all kinds of big guys in the Army. <laughs> and so it's all the and potatoes. I, and, <laughs> and I loved camo and just regular green. And I, I don't think I ever went to the parachute pants where they were like white or things like that. But <laughs> I really did love having, even before phones, I always had you know, wallet and comb back when I needed a comb and pens. I used to carry three pens, like a black, a blue, and a red. And who knows why, but it just seemed important to be able to say, well, if I need to write something important, I should highlight it in red. And <laughs> Because of MacGyver, I used to always carry my Swiss Army knife and duct tape. <laughs> Absolutely. I never carried duct tape, but Swiss Army knife. In fact, I might have talked about this before. When I got married, I gave away Swiss Army knives to all of my groomsmen. That, and it had their name engraved on the haft of the blade. And I and they a number of them, it's just like a long time ago, that they still talk about. That's like the one handy gift <laughs> they've ever gotten. And of course they have fond memories every time that they pull it out. They're they're reminded of, well, that was and that was a fun wedding. <laughs> yeah. That that's yeah. a great idea. I should also mention that uh, the name of the watch, I'm sorry, the knife brand was the Super Tinker. Which is like, well, how manly is that? I, I didn't want to reveal that to anybody. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. I, okay. I, sorry. I, I always wanted the one that had 
every device that they ever offered on a Swiss Army knife all in one knife. It was like too big to actually use. Exactly. And I, the reason I got this one was because I actually went like, you know, back before there was, I don't think it was website time, but it was where you could go to a catalog and see all the various different versions. And mine was the one that had what I thought everything that was practical. I don't know that I needed to have a, uh, a corkscrew in there and a previous Swiss Army knife I had in college, the corkscrew was the thing that always got caught on your pants, if anything did. And so I, you know, how, but it had a, a toothpick and it had an awl and it had all the different blades and stuff. And I just hadn't proceeded. Oh, now it's got a taser. I hadn't gone the next absurd place. You know what I mean? So, right, right. <laughs> so uh, lots of stuff going on this week. Uh, we had Absolutely. our great live podcast with the lost cities. Yes. I thought it really went well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously we, we started, we went to the Lost Cities RG, the regional gathering, and we started with that as our jumping point. But then we talked about like cool geek travel and things were to us, you know, discoveries and stuff like that. And I don't know, the, the audience really seemed to enjoy it. And we had no problem coming up with a good hour of right. all the fun discoveries. And I, I I thought there was a bit of a twist on the naming because wasn't Dayton RG missing for a couple of years that they didn't hold one? Yes. Actually, they might be one of the ones that has, I think that they didn't do last year, right when the COVID bit them. Yeah. But compared to um, in, in our in the Midwest region, you know, uh, I think Columbus has taken a year or two off, but I think Dayton, Cincinnati, they, they've been very, very consistent. Um, yeah. I think Pittsburgh almost had to take a year off because they had one of like the hotel contracts fell through or something. But then one of the members actually had it out on, they have a nice uh, country estate, if you will, and they had it out at their place. And from what I understand, it was really nice. So, that was my first RG. Out, I mean, out at uh, Bill and Bria's. And Bill, oh, that's yes. very cool. I did that, not know I mean, that. Okay. How... how what an intro to the people of Mensa. Instead of going to the RG at the hotel, it was at their house. We were in there. My kids were like 14 at the time. And I don't know if you've ever been to Bill and Bria's. You walk in and it's wall-to-wall bookshelves everywhere. My kids' See. jaws dropped and they're like, oh my God. And Bill we're and Bria are like, yeah, go ahead. You know, so here's this big house that has books everywhere. And my kids are just wandering around, like taking books off the shelf and looking at them. And it was very relaxing and it was yeah. the perfect intro. And then uh, they had tents set up outside and Paul and Marty show up and they're introducing everybody to exploding kittens. And my daughter played kittens for like eight hours and I heard her <laughs> laughing so much all day long. And I'm that like, is this so is sweet. so perfect. It, you yeah. know, and they have very fond memories of that whole weekend. That's, you know, I think we had been to Pittsburgh like 10 years in a row. And for whatever reason, we couldn't make that year. And I always wonder what it was like. You know, I, I have, I've been to a couple things that we call ungatherings, where right. instead of being the full God bore, potty. it's got lots of hospitality, lots of programming, the whole thing that instead it's just a group of two dozen people get together and they spend the weekend gaming and talking and staying up till all odd hours. And, and the, the hospitality is kind of, uh, not haphazard, bad word. It's impromptu. Right. You know what I mean? Where we go to a big run to a Sam's Club or a Costco and get a whole bunch of stuff. And yet, it to me, the gathering has never been about the food. I know people love it because there's such a variety and a profusion of food. And yet, I'm okay with just having Diet Dr. Pepper and peanut M&Ms. You know what I mean? I'm, and not anymore, but, but that used to be like... <laughs> that's the great thing about all those. It caters to just about every little quirk <laughs> that everybody yes. has. Do, yeah. do you like the junk food? Do you like the good food? Do you like the drinks? Do you like the talk? Do you like the party or the games? You know, you've got exactly. it all in there. So. Yeah. And also, I love things where, you know, it's, it isn't only 
like hotel catered. It's always that people have been baking for weeks, if not months leading up to it. And so you'll get, you know, there's always Buckeyes because it's Ohio and you'll get every kind of brownie and just the, the creativity of people where they make a soup and they'll tell you exactly the ingredients in it right. so that you don't have to worry about, I hope that there's no MSG because I have a sensitivity to that. It's the people are so incredibly generous and solicitous and just like, you know, the, the hell's them credo of, you know, make sure that the morning after the party, everybody remembers that they had a good time. Right. It really is an evidence at RGs that the people who've been doing this for a long time or that the example that they set for everybody coming in is, um, you know, overserve, but don't have it be only junk. Like you're saying for every, for every, you know, box of cheese crackers, there's also fresh fruit and fresh vegetables and, and that kind of stuff. Every variety of pop in case somebody's still looking for tab, you know, you, you, you know what you missed at the one at Bill and Bria's chocolate yeah. covered bacon. Uh, that might've been the first time that made immense appearance. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, we and are blessed in Cleveland to have had Nancy Heller for a long time. And she was always very good and current and experimental. And so we almost always had all the regular stuff, but then just that she would have chocolate covered bacon because, Hey, it's all the rage. We're going to have some too. I right. love that. And I, 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 I know I've heard some stories at Cleveland and mid Northeast Ohio. We used to be one region or one district region, whatever. Right. And Cleveland then and Ecom. Yes. Yeah, then it broke apart. And we're like the only place around that doesn't do an RG. So I go to Cleveland, I go to Columbus, I go to Dayton, Cincinnati, I go to PA, but I hardly ever do anything in ECOM. You know, it's yeah, really weird. Yeah. And Columbus just started doing RGs again uh, the last couple of years. They hadn't been doing them for a while. Exactly. You know what it takes is a, a spark plug. It takes a couple, a couple people to yeah. be the anchor that's going to say, we're going to do this. We really could use some help from all of our friends. And sometimes it's only a couple people. So I know Indianapolis had an RG for a long time and they, they burnt out the people that were doing it every single year, but with not enough assistance. Right. And, but luckily the Midwest in general, region three, um, really seems to have that spirit of now there's certain people that have always done hospitality that kind of help out each other's groups. So it's not only Virginia and Cincinnati, Nancy will do a meal. And you know what I mean? Like they, they sure Rachel will do a meal. Whoever else are the biggies when Hell's End was um, Skinner and Yvonne and Rob and Nikki, you could count on them to always be doing like, yeah, we'll run like, like Eric and Heidi do now. We'll take care of the snacks. Yeah. You know, if we do each group it, does a meal and someone takes care of the snacks, nobody gets burnt out. And that's right. A good thing. It's, Cause I know, I mean, I've done enough volunteer work. I know you get sucked in and it's like, Oh, it's only a little bit of time. And then next thing you know, you're three nights a week for four months and it's yes. very easy. You lose, you know, I don't have time for anything. And then you don't enjoy it yourself. And I felt bad because I haven't done a whole lot of volunteering. So I try to do talks because that I can do. And I've right. tried to do the games, running some tournaments and stuff to help out with that a bit. Exactly. But I just know I, I just cannot commit to let me help organize the whole thing for the next six months. I'm, that's right. a little beyond my capabilities at the moment. Yeah. So, I, it's funny, I, Colleen and I got to a point, so at the Pittsburgh AG, the annual gathering, which is, you know, an, an RG times five, it's, it's that much bigger. We, we, we have been in Mensa for a long time and have made lots of friends and lots of friends asked us to do things. Like you said, you know, can you run a tournament? Can you do a talk? Um, Colleen, you love coffee. Can you handle the coffee? And we did so many volunteer things, not objecting to any of them because they were our friends, but honestly, we sat down and it runs from Wednesday to Sunday. We sat down like Saturday night at nine o'clock and said, 
we finally don't have, what do we need to worry about next? Right. And we just said, we won't do this again. It will be that we have to disappoint some people, but I'm going to choose to do like one talk. And like and in Pittsburgh, for instance, we did, I was running the Smart Life. It was an early social media website before Facebook was around. And so I got my Smart Life crew to come and help me. But we did like a 6 to 12 Saturday morning shift in hospitality. And it was really a lot of work. It was not only that we did it, but that the Friday night people, as you might imagine, Friday night is kind of the day when everybody's a little bit letting go. Well, whatever refilling and arranging and cleaning they should have done, not done to spec. <laughs> so the first thing we did there was like say, oh my God, you know, bring in, run the, the Aegean River through here, clean the stables out. And we're gonna have to kind of start from zero instead right. of being at 80 and going to a hundred. Well, like I said, I, I think I'm really, you just paralleled what, what I usually do is I know that I can do a talk. And also I tend to do things now that I don't want to just be a pair of hands. I know that I'm, I have good stamina and I'm tall and whatever else might help with the load in and the load out. But a lot of people have a fear of public speaking. They don't want to do that. Whereas I have no problems with it. Right. And so I try to do the things that are particularly me and other people can't do it and not just be kind of faceless. I, it matters to me that I think I'm, I'm really making a contribution instead of just being a drone. Right. And, and so that leads me to, I run a particular tournament or do a particular right. talk and things like that. And, and I, I owe you an apology for this past weekend. I really did want to come to your talk at one thirty, <laughs> and I have a mastermind meeting at 10. And so I okay. went to the mastermind meeting and then, okay, I got a couple hours. I'm going to go out and start working in the yard, had my headphones on and I'm working and I didn't even have my phone and I had the alarm set and all that, you know, and Got I come it. in, Got I'm like, it. oh man, it's like quarter after two. <laughs> it's like, right. dang it. L's almost done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one of the joys of like, this is a new program. I had been working on this one for about a month and, and putting actually maybe in more, it doesn't matter, but it was, you know, again, the lost cities theme. And so it's, um, it was fun to like go back in my mind through comic books and, think about all the various different lost cities and then kind of like what we did don't just stop with lost cities because there's only so much you can talk about the jeweled city of opar or shangri-la let's talk about well comic books have done lost you know there's not lost cities there's whole countries that they created there's whole dimensions there's whole worlds and so it was just fun to kind of sprout out like a big old octopus and say we need to talk about legion of superheroes because they have 50 different worlds each of which somebody developed a particular power right. because hey this was the magnetic planet or whatever else and it was a lot of information to get through but i love doing a talk where if people aren't aware of the cool depth and richness of comic books i get a chance to like just splash them with all of the cool things that 80 years of comic books have brought to us you know what i mean so especially when their only only experience is they know about wakanda because of the black panther right movie. now the movie yeah. and it's like wow it's been in marvel comics since 65 so it's got 55 years worth of little reveals as to how did it come to be and who has besides the black panther how has it influenced the world what about a vibranium you know what i mean it I don't know. I, I really love doing those kinds of talks. And now that I got this one kind of in the can, I can offer it to other RGs and do continual updates and tweaks, fix my typos, you know, right, you know right, that kind right. of stuff. And so I think I mentioned um, Baldwin Wallace has an adult learning program that they've asked me to do a series for. And I've been about comic books. And because I've already done a number of interesting comic book talks about um, female archetypes, about diversity, about history of comic books in general. Now I have this one in the hopper. And I think I'm like, 
five out of six to the good. I didn't even have to start writing and try to think of how would I organize six talks. It won't be a complete thing about comic books, but each of them will have this interesting facet of the world of comic books that it'll be fun to do an updated version of each of them. Something a little more than just, let me tell you my favorite stories. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, uh, as you know, both of us are doing often speaking engagements. I'm happy to say, you know, at end of August, I think, no, sorry, end of April, April 29 or maybe, I'm speaking again at Kent State. And it's probably still going to be virtual. So it's going to be a Zoom presentation like I just did. But it's the one about female archetypes. And what's a joy about that one is I first gave that talk like 10 years ago. Well, as you might imagine, the world is kind of waking up to the fact that, you know, ladies have been around for a long time. Ladies are absolutely the equal of men. So this, I've had to update this program more than any other program that I've done because they keep on like, Hey, there's another Wonder Woman movie. There's a Captain Marvel movie. There's comic books that are now absolutely introducing a female version of Thor or other things that have widened the field, Uh, you know? So whatever used to be the comic books were like for teen boys, it sure is wonderfully shifting. You know what I mean? The female Thors probably come into movies. Uh, yes. There's still talk that Shuri is going to be the next Black Panther. So exactly. A big change is there. And I know Disney with Star Wars made a big push. And, and we've talked about this, you know, don't fix things by going completely the other way, which breaks right. it in different ways. But they did a big push where they were focusing um, a animated series on the women of Star Wars. They didn't call it that but it was ray and um princess leia and um amidala and even ara singh and you know different animations with stories with just the the focus on the females which i thought was cool and interesting but i don't think it took off as well as it could have Uh, i think it was exactly that well we don't really have a plan but we're just going to do all women because that's what everybody wants you know, and that's not necessarily what everybody wants. Yeah. And, you know, it's worth, I know this comes up often because I guess it's something that's that's happening often around us. I, I really do like where they have a new series, a new take on existing continuity, but I really don't as much enjoy where they just say, scratch all that, scratch 200 years of Sherlock Holmes or 150, whatever it might be, and just say, no, we're doing a whole new take. Well, so, um, I, we just watched the first episode of The Irregulars. It's now on Netflix. It's a series good? about the, you know, Holmes always had the Baker Street Irregulars, right. which were urchins and street kids that, you know, because they don't get noticed by society, but they can be very much his agents out collecting information and doing little tasks for him. Well, the tenor of the series, unfortunately, is that there's going to be a supernatural element really strongly. And so much a part of the, the Sherlock Holmes ethos is it's logic it's elementary dear watson it's it's thinking through things not just saying it's inexplicable and we're just going to have to ride the wave until we figure it out so and 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 they portrayed sherlock holmes as being he's not brilliant he's like an addict and he's and and they're just um i don't like the so much the rewriting of I know that you know the Seven Percent Solution by Meyer was actually a very cool book that talked about how you know you can't do recreational drugs without them kind of doing you after right. a while, and so it was about his struggle and was his will going to be enough to overcome that? And it it so my first take on the Irregulars is that I don't know that I I wish they had done it without it being Sherlock Holmes. They could have said, "Hey, it's a rival consulting detective," and you know that and well, and uh, <laughs> how much is he in it? Because they don't say a whole lot about it in the description. And that's one of the shows I want to watch. Uh, so 
it isn't Sherlock Holmes except in, like, peering through the door at him um, knocked out from his drugs or him going into a manic something or other because of it. Watson is the main connector to the Baker Street Irregulars. And from what I remember from the books, that is not at all the case. They were very much Holmes's, Holmes's team. Yeah. And and so and, and uh, they have made a point of it being, you know, it's Victorian era London and it's a very diverse group. So they have, you know, uh, Caucasian and Negro and Asian and, and whatever else it might be. Nice. And, but having said that, there's some, I'm, I'm colorblind, I, and I want it to be that there, everybody has a chance to participate, but you can't be that everything else about Victoria uh, era London is there and kind of trying to be true of it, and then act as if there wasn't incredible prejudice, there wasn't incredible um, danger Again. to various different people. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. whenever, whenever they had an Indian character until the Raj was eliminated, they weren't running around free. They were indentured servants and, and, and like struck just for getting in some rich man's way and stuff like that. And so I, maybe it's only a stereotype from back then, but I think that stereotypes are around for a reason. People, the class system in England ho treated horribly anybody who wasn't posh, who wasn't of the landed gentry, if you will. And so there's, there's some off notes about them trying to inject modern sensibility and culture yeah. into, it's not only like from 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it's from when, boy, uh, but, the world was not fair. Boy, the world I, was I don't, shitty for poor people. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? So. And I don't disagree <laughs> with any of that at all, but we also have a slightly different viewpoint. We would like to see it more accurate for the time period, whereas 98% yeah. of the rest of the world, at least in America, doesn't want that they want it to be the pc correctness of their viewpoint today i guess uh, exactly and, and arguably the thing with holmes it, it always it wasn't brought out strongly in the stories him doing coke and his manic depressiveness and split personality at times um right. and i know On the spectrum etc yeah yes, yeah <laughs> but i know a lot of uh researchers a lot of um whatever professors and you know academics they delve into the other dark side of homes and i think yes. that that does bring out even more so the character in an interesting way you know i mean if not then he's just sheldon <laughs> you know <laughs> um so i i do like i, I think i'm gonna watch it now this week uh you've intrigued me i want to see what they do do with homes but it's a good way to do something different with them too. Uh, exactly. So, I and it's also, know. it's episodic instead of being that they're all out there, at least I'm not, actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're releasing it or whether it's all out there for binging. Yeah, we it's make probably a point all of usually watching it's, one episode at a time. So then we have a chance to let it kind of like percolate. You know what I mean? Netflix, we, we speculate. It's probably all binged all out there. You're I probably bet. true. Yeah, you're uh, probably right. Well, uh, now I'm intrigued because I mean, I know our viewpoints on supernatural are a little different and I, that was one of the things Gina and I said, Oh, that looks really good. And honestly, I know it said Holmes. I'm like, huh, Holmes. I never even put it together with the Baker street gang. And I was like, Oh, now that you said that, duh. Now I get it <laughs> a little yeah, slow. It's, it, it, um, I love the fact that they, uh, it's very cool. Like there was a great series called Penny Dreadful that was yes, kind of based in the I same period. And they, they brought in elements of vampires and werewolves and zombies and whatever else it might be. And they, and they did that quite well with referencing classic um, literature. You know, is Captain Nemo going to make an appearance? A little bit of what uh, Alan Moore did with League of Gentlemen really, really well. So um, I, 
I really, it's a wide open thing for, they can introduce so many different things. I'm looking forward to what's the real conspiracy. And, you know, uh, uh, there's always an interesting thread that runs through them all that it's not just vignettes. There really is a looming menace. Is it going to be that Moriarty is not just the Napoleon of crime, but that he's actually the leader of a coven or something like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the twist they put on it. It, um, I, it's kind of funny. I've loved Sherlock Holmes. You know, back when I was young, it was a big thing to graduate from like Encyclopedia Brown to Sherlock what? Holmes. I love Encyclopedia you know? Brown. And so I'm saying, but you know what I mean? Those Hardy were like boys. pretty kitty things and they were short stories and you can get, you know, okay, here's the, the thing that they're, that little secret that they're trying to reveal. And I remember like Sherlock Holmes might've been one of the first things where I didn't read them as individual books. My parents got me the collection. You know, it's a two-volume set that has all the novels and all the short stories. And just to sit there with something that's like, as a little kid, you kind of got to like prop it a certain way or it's it's going to, you know, it's too heavy to hold for regular reading. (laughs) But I just loved that. I I think I mentioned I I love things that have a certain sense of time and place. And these things haven't been written, you know, to be serial, you know what I mean? That they kind of like what, how Dickens wrote many of his books before they were novels. So the fact that Arthur Conan Doyle, and and this is kind of funny. I know that for all of what Arthur Conan Doyle made Sherlock Holmes to be this perfect, logical creature, he had himself a very strong interest in seances and mediums and the supernatural. And so my having said, oh, it's not with canon, it's actually kind of truer to what they were, if they, if Conan had, uh, Conan Doyle had allowed himself yeah. to put himself into his books, not only the idealized self of Holmes, or that he was maybe the Watson character, that it's kind of cool that they've, that they know enough about him, that they're saying, you know, he wouldn't have objected to this. The estate is actually is thanked at the end credits, and so it's like, well, that does make sense. They would kind of say this is true to who he was as a human being, that he had interest in everything, including both of these elements, even though they seem to be different ends of the spectrum. It's, it's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. And speaking of all this, um, one of our big topics we were saying, talking about, is again, changes in the comic industry uh, oh boy <laughs> how about marvel you know what i mean they are the big dog in terms of comic book movies and yes. still the big dog in terms of publishing but they as you talked about with your son working at the comic book store they broke away from diamond yes right a long time ago and what were they going to do without the biggest distributor kind of a rivalry kind of a so you have news what what, ha- what have they decided well, so recap uh back when the p- pandemic started DC went in a completely different direction and they broke away from diamond and diamond has been the major retailer for over 20 years uh, right. in the, in everything. In fact, almost monopoly. I had a friend, right. benevolent monopoly, yes. but a monopoly. Exactly. I had a friend yeah. who couldn't get his independent comic published because diamond said, no, nah, we don't want it. So he right. had no avenue. And if they don't carry it. Yeah. There's no way to easily get it to all yeah. the stores and all the people. Right okay. now that's changed in today's world, but 12, to 15 years ago it that's how it was and diamond controlled all of that and they did a lot with like magic cards and stuff when i dealt with magic cards i had to go through diamond and there were several times something special would come out and i'd order some and they'd say yeah we don't have any for you too bad and i wouldn't right. get them because they were allocating it based on love sales yes, <laughs> whatever exactly. else it might be yeah. okay so yeah. during the pandemic which we talked about a couple months ago dc broke away from diamond and they went with a completely different distributor um okay. now that is a good thing in that there's competition 
But the bad thing is that, according to Admin Colin, it's not that reliable. They've had to wait several weeks sometimes for DC shipments. And there have been a couple times when a small book uh, they may have only ordered three copies of or something like that, they didn't even get. You know, oh, it's it's in, wow. it's waiting, it's waiting, it's waiting. Three, four weeks later, sorry, you're not getting any of that. Right. So that doesn't and they help. don't even like reissue the the, yeah. the the reorder for it. They right. just drop it. Ugh. Yeah. And okay. that's not Diamond. That's the new company. And there's a lot of times uh, it's, you know, when did comics use, you know, the comic book stores would be closed on Tuesday because they're putting out the new comics and going through the pool list. So you go Wednesday to get them. Well, now, well, we'll, we'll send them to you on Monday next week. Well, no, the following week, it'll come on Thursday. So, <laughs> so you can't even do your scheduling for when your people usually come in and, right. and do the evening thing to get ready for Wednesday. Right. Okay. So it yeah. hasn't been the best thing. The good thing is when I go in, there is a lot of independent comics now sitting on the shelves. So that's a good thing. Well, now Marvel has made this big deal with Penguin Random House, who, as you know, is one of the big publishers for books. Oh, sure, sure. Well, I don't know what all is going to happen, but here's my take on it. And okay. Colin's kind of this way. He's like, they're a book publisher. They don't have any inroads with small comic book shops. They deal with Walmart. They deal with uh, Books a Million. They deal with Barnes and Noble and big places like that. Yeah. So, and not individual comics, but like books, graphic exactly. novel versions and stuff. Oh, and boy. That's the thing. Colin says that he doesn't think they're going to put too much emphasis on individual issues and focus on trades. So, you know, if Marvel's oh suddenly boy, pushing so a lot of trades and making money on that, what's going to happen to the single issues and, and what's going to happen to local comic book stores and local comic their stores. two biggest publishers are now difficult to deal with right. or not even dealing with them. Right. You know what I mean? That's they've been unfortunately sounding the death knell for local comic book stores for decades, but it really, this could be a couple yeah. of big stakes in that particular coffin. Oh Absolutely. man. Okay. And that's just our predictions, but you know, it just yeah. doesn't look good. You know, I, I look at GameStop where 10 years ago, if you wanted a used game or a new game, you went to GameStop. That was the video game store. I don't know if you've been to a GameStop lately, but you have to like search for video games. It's all pop culture, bobbleheads and statues and electronic this and all sorts of stuff. Because, yeah. and I, oh boy. this is another thing. When the Xbox was first coming out, that Microsoft said, we're going to take out the disk drive and make it all digital. You'll download all your games. And people went berserk and said, that's ridiculous. We never want that. Then once the Xbox was out, everybody started ordering things from the digital store and it almost killed the sales. Right. Of physical that media. section was gone of those yeah. stores. Exactly. Yeah. So, the biggest section, you know, one of the biggest at least. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. so that was irritating because it's like, you idiots, you're, you're doing exactly what you said you weren't going to do. Anyway, so now you go into GameStop, there's not much there. So what's going to happen? Are we going to have to go to Barnes & Noble to buy our comic books? And are there going to be individual issues at all? Are we going to have to wait till the, yeah, the individual issues are out there. If you live in a big city and could go to one of the five stores that have it, if right. not, you know, or are we going to have to go to Walmart and pick it off the shelf with all the kids pawing through all of it? <laughs> And, and that's honestly knowing that. So I, I still go to Barnes and Noble and Border, not Borders, um, Books a Million, Books a Million, and and you know, so they usually do now have a comic book section, yeah. not only graphic it's novels big. but individual issues. And I do have that same objection that they have a lot of people that have 
pawed through it before you get there. So your chance of getting a mint newsstand copy is next to nothing. Yeah. That's for so long why I, indeed, not only, not only there, but even comic book stores were not secure enough to me that unless I had a pull list there, or unless I started to buy them through mail order, I couldn't get good copies of everything. Right. So hopefully the fact that at least there is that connection to bookstores, big ones, but but the the uh, what's going to happen with the comic book stores and this kind of so sorry about this we noticed that same phenomenon this this weekend when we went to smucker's outlet yeah we went down to johnson woods to do a nice hike it's the biggest old growth forest in ohio um we went to the smucker's outlet which is nearby and two times ago when we were there we got like wow i didn't know that smucker's also made these jellies these baking mixes these chilies whatever else it might be and we walked out with a bulging bag They've gone that same weird route of, is there Smucker's food there anymore? No, it was Easter material. It was Ohio State Buckeyes clothing. It was things for your dog. They had like all these various different sections had pulled out, uh, pushed out all the various different sections of food things that we had liked, where that was the only place that you could find lemon poppy seed quick bread. Right. And so now the first time we went there, it was wonderful. And the last two times, it's just nowhere near the same experience and so we we kind of had that when we went to a place called tamarack in west virginia it's a big arts and crafts place where they actually have artists working on site and again we had such a nice what a discovery look at all this cool stuff and each time that we've been back since then the selection has been worse there's not as many artists working there it's kind of like wow we had one good experience and now we get to watch it wither and that hurts. So we kind of call that getting tamaracked. You know what I mean? That's become <laughs> our term for that. So to come back to comic book stores, I wonder if that's what it's going to be like, that a comic book store isn't a comic book store anymore. It's a pop art store. Yeah. It's got all the little figures yeah. and it's got, you know, the, the ways in which they branched out that maybe they're even more profitable than comic books. And so that's why they've always had T-shirts and plush toys and whatever else it might be. But soon it's going to be nothing there's right. going to be no well, way to get that you like know? like adams and i know even kenmore comics they do a lot with the pop culture figures and toys and uh stuff from the 80s and 70s but yes. at some point that's going to drop off because there's going to be less and less and there's going to be people wanting stuff from the 2000s but you know there hasn't been the same amount same quality and People are like, oh, well, the Star Wars figures are worth so much from the 70s, so I'm going to buy all these toys at Walmart from the 2000s. Well, the stuff from Walmart's not going to be worth anything, folks. That's right. And then you got to wait 30 years for it yeah. to become valuable, 50 years for it to become valuable. Yes. Is this going to be the legacy for your grandchild? Because you're not going to enjoy it. You're exactly. not going to enjoy the wealth of it. Exactly. And so The funny thing is, and we've both talked about digital comics a bit. Uh, and I read digital comics. The great thing I love about Marvel is I can buy the issue, I get a code, enter it in the store, and now I can read the digital issue and just put the physical one away. For me, that's perfect. You know, I'll buy it and love you it. You get nowhere on your physical item, on your collectible, right? and, and I you can, still get to, of course, enjoy the contents. Exactly. Yeah, I've got 300 comics carried in the back of my back pocket, you know? <laughs> so perfect. Yeah. Um, Colin has been, I've been saying to him, I'm like, you know, I think digital comics are going to start taking off more because everything is music and streaming and the book publishing. And he's like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah, I think it might. Well, semi-recently, um, because 
Amazon purchased Comixology. So they own right. Comixology and now they're merging it. So you can buy stuff on Amazon, read it on Comixology and keep your collections tied together. But as a publisher, you can also publish your own comic books on Amazon, just like books. So if, wow. if my friend could sit in his basement and working on a comic after work and be able to publish it right to Kindle and Comixology, well, isn't that what Ted did? I mean, essentially, Ted has exactly. I mean, you know, just that self-publishing of books has been around on Amazon for a long time, and now comic books makes good sense. And there yeah. are already, instead of having to do a Kickstarter, it really could be that Amazon has smoothed the way for yeah. all that to happen. You know, so yeah, I, I think you know, the next five to ten years in comic books is going to be a little bit of a weird, wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I am a recent subscriber to Comicsology. You know, maybe I don't think it was because of the Amazon uh, uh, transition. It was because I really was, I had kind of tapped out on what I could get digitally from Hoopla. You know, they oh, yeah. carry library books, and so I, as I put in all my favorite series, all my favorite creators, and then as I've been reading for a whole bunch of years now, I just wasn't finding enough new often enough. And you know, you know how it is if you like browse through a bookstore and don't find anything, you kind of like leave in a humph. You know right. what I mean? It's like I have wide ranging tastes and yet really there's nothing new coming out or there's nothing on the back shelves that I haven't already read. That's one of the unjoys of being you know, a long time collector is you really have read a lot of stuff yeah. and, and maybe it really, so I really am enjoying the fact that now Comixology gets me relatively new and current, but there's still, I'm still trying not to buy individual things. I'm trying to go with what they, they always have kind of like a, not even a lost leader, but it's something that they issue that's relatively new, not all of the new, so that they entice you to go and look at the older stuff as well. Right. And because I have a gap in my collecting, it's also been, well, usually just by playing catch up on, I didn't read anything after um, Atlantis Attacks, you know what I mean, or whatever else it might be. And so the whole King in Black series that's coming out now, oh, yeah. like with all the symbiotes and stuff like that, I'm intensely curious, but I don't want to spend $500 on curiosity. I kind of want to outweigh them in the same way that I outweigh Netflix or other services. But comicsology is really being devious in terms of, well, here's three issues out of the 30 you want to read. It's like, oh, don't hook me. Well, don't get me. <laughs> well, and I love Hoopla also, and I've run into that too. Oh, look, they've got the Amazing Spider-Man trades. One, two, five, seven. We've <laughs> laughed about that before. Either things are, like when I was first reading books, I had to go to multiple libraries. Yes. It's kind of funny. Right around now, when spring was springing, was when I'd often hop in the car and I'd go to Avon Lake and you know I'd go farther away than here to find out what other libraries had good collections and so then when you find out that Westlake has a good collection at the Porter Library it's like okay I'm going to make this a regular stop for like a year because I'm going to work my way through all the hulks I've missed and all the Doctor Stranges and whatever else has come out that I couldn't get to otherwise and yet the problem with any library or any digital service is indeed I want to read these in order and I got one and two and then they jumped five. Like you said, yeah. am I going to wait? I don't want to start. I don't want to start and get my appetite whetted and then yes. kind of squirm about it. And, and I don't want to start and have a year between where I'm going to forget of something yeah. that I just, so it's a little frustrating to not be the wonderful system that I had set up with where I bought everything from M&M distributors and never missed anything. And I just was a completist. <laughs> All you, know? you got to do is spend $1,200 a month and you're fine. <laughs> Boy, I, you know, comic books are really expensive nowadays compared to then. But there was a time when I was spending 
between 300 and 500 dollars a month and i had the money i was making good money right. a good job and that kind of stuff and that's what i wanted to have pretty much more than anything else besides my mortgage and my car payment right. that's what i was spending the most on but having said that it is now twelve hundred dollars a month because kind books cost six bucks not yeah. two six and bucks for 28 pages Exactly. And as you know, they, if you're trying to be not only a reader, but a collector, then they have, well, here's the foil variant and here's the sketch variant. And we, and I, I just, it's just in my cross. So I bring it up often. I wish they didn't do that as much because it makes it seem like that it's all about collecting instead of reading. Like, I don't want people to buy it, immediately bag it, never read it. I, I want people to enjoy the fact that it's cool stories, that yes. it's literature. And you know what pictures, I mean? Yeah. yeah. And yet, there's such paranoia about, oh, no, I breathed on it. And now it's not, you know, near mint plus. Right. <laughs> oh, well. That, oh, the, well. The funny thing is, Colin has been for the last couple of years. He, oh, my God. He literally has been reading several hundred comics a week. He's working he's his in way. The store. Yeah. Yeah. He's working his way through everything Green Lantern has ever appeared in. And oh my. working through Batman. I mean, like. You know, getting it online and reading it and, st and just he he's buying auctions of collections and stuff and Good it's for just him, like man that's cool yeah, yeah. you know it, and everyone down at the store you know he's the expert they'll ask him and even adam is like i'm not sure what storyline is this Colin's like oh that's so and so and and he's like it was written by this person drawn by this person and you know just like woo. See? Good for him. Speaking you know, of Encyclopedia that, Brown. Like at a, yeah. At a Comic-Con, it's very cool. There used to be, who was it that was such an expert? E. Nelson Bridwell was the guy in DC's like 60s and 70s where everybody that worked for the company went to him and said, I'm about to have this appear you know, in a story. Does this fall in line with what's happened before? Oh, yes. Mr. Mix says, yes, Pitalik is from the fifth dimension. Remember, not the sixth. And you know what I mean? He's And right. he has these, he's had, an, yes, he had one uh, rivalry with Batmite and whatever else it might be. And then I think Mark Wade is another one of those guys that seems to just have an encyclopedic knowledge. He can name issue and creator and, you know what I mean? All, all the everything of it. And so good for your, yeah. your son that he's yeah, becoming he's... that because i have a little bit of that i tend to retain oh yeah that was ff81 was where he the thing had to battle the gangsters and i don't even know if that's true but sometimes i can right. pull those out you know that the galactus trilogy is 48 to 50 because it's famous you know what right, i mean right, so right. <laughs> and he so he's been reading but he's started reading some of the stuff digitally through Hoopla, through Comixology. And I've told him before, I'm, he's like, why, why do you read so much digital? I'm like, because it's easy. I can sit in bed, you know, and I, I just take the issues and put them away. And so he's like, no, no, no. It's, you got to have the physical and the smell and the feel. And, it's the smell of it. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't disagree with that. Maybe I'm just getting old. So he's, he's got, he made a list of hundreds. Here's all the Batmans in order that I want to read. Here's all the Green Lanterns in order I want to read. And he literally spent days to compile his list. So when he started, I'm like, okay, you have a little bit of uh, Mensa OCD going on there. But, but uh, no, it's important because if there really are a lot of cross references and back history, you don't want to be like, well, they're talking about like he's already fought this guy, but I've not read that issue. Right. Darn oh. it. I don't want to be. Out of order. Just, just it's a caveat there. It's important <laughs> to Uber geeks. To most of the rest of the world, it is not important. <laughs> They're not getting the full experience. They're not, They're not a I real Batman totally. fan. They're not. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, you know? I when, agree. 
if you read Terry Pratchett's Discworld books and you find out that, of course, he he wrote them as it occurred to him. You know, pretty much right. he had various different characters and they'd appear in and out. But then there's been all manner of different lists that now yeah. say, if you really want to read the history of Discworld, either chronologically or where there, you won't get any back references that you haven't already read, here's the orders in which to do that. And there's more than one, if you will. Yes, yeah, people <laughs> so, argue about that. Yes. So he found that he started reading some digitally just because he had an iPad and he could put them. I, same thing. I argued with them. I've got 300 on my iPad in order. I just I keep carry putting. this wherever I go. Yes. Yep. And yep. so he came up and says, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm really enjoying reading them digitally. I could lay in bed and I don't feel like a, a, an omnibus is going to crush my face. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so that is, you know, it, everything, right. I, I've actually done a cool talk about this, you know, as everything gets digitized, it's amazing that they get a new life. You know, the long tail yeah. exists that things get to continue to sell that they would never have had physical space or cost uh, uh, associated with it to carry anything but Dark Side of the Moon. You know what I mean? For various different music artists or books or something like that, you can, if in a big born, bar, uh, bookstore like Barnes and Noble, you can go and see. Or they don't have every Stephen King. They have the ones that sold the best or they have the most current ones. But if you're looking, you have to like hit the used bookstores or hit Amazon and hope you find a copy that somebody didn't let their dog chew on before they <laughs> sold it to you. You know what I mean? Right. And of course, they didn't. the dog didn't chew the words off the page. It's still readable. But if you want to have a nice, neat lineup in your shelf, you can't have something that looks like it was in a war zone <laughs> next to all the ones that are minty fresh. You know right. what I mean? So, right. so, oh, well, I... It is kind of cool that there's a whole science, there's a whole, like, people that are uh, 25 years old are getting to delve into, like Rhino used to do. Here's the whole back catalog of this artist, and let's capture their best stuff, and let's capture the stories in a little booklet that goes with it, and get the live versions of certain things because this really was the band at the height of its powers and they were at the Cleveland, you know, auditorium. And then you can, you can hear the first time someone said, hello, Cleveland, right. you know, which is like, it's so famous. It's become like a rock, you know, stereotype in every movie, you know what I mean? Yes. So I, I love that. It hasn't just been as much as I love being the collector and the one that finds those treasures. It's very cool that there are people that are, um, have that same desire to not just let these things fade and even be lost because nobody can find them anymore. I love that there's still, I can go back and listen to the best of old Genesis because they keep on kind of finding, yeah, we, we didn't realize we had these live tapes that were from the radio simulcast, but somebody captured have been really good. Not, you know, a soundboard recording instead of a fan with a tape recorder in the audience and they sound great. And they really are a slice of history. If you will. So, so bringing up the music uh we missed this last week uh what are you listening to what have you been listening to this past week <laughs> so um i got a couple comedy albums uh we we john Pinette. we there's a couple um oh this is so sad people that colin and i used to really love a whole bunch of them died like within the last 20 years. So we lost Richard Jenny and we lost John Panette and we lost Robert Schimmel and very different styles, very different kinds of comedians, but they were the ones that when they came to our local comedy club, there's no way we're going to miss them. You know what I mean? So having just recently had that pang of um, discovered a Robert Schimmel book and a quick sad story Robert Schimmel, like, uh, was a very ribald comic. He talked about sex openly, very, the funny things about sex, if you will. Well, he got, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and fought it off 
but like kept touring to pay for his cancer treatments. And so it was an incredible act of bravery and will to see like he's so gaunt and yet he would come alive on stage for the hour and a half that he was going to do his show. And then he'd like take him off stage and give him his oxygen. And you know, so it's just a, the weirdest thing to experience that he didn't just leave stage after he got over it. He would like have conversations with fans afterwards for anybody who was also, and I had my melanoma bout. And so there's like, you know, there's a weird kinship where you've been through hell together. You've been through tough times and stuff like that. So he survived all this stuff and then died in an auto accident. And like, what? Come on, universe. Come on. You know what I mean? That's not fair. That's yeah. not right. So having thought about that recently and discovered a book called Cancer on $5 a Day, because he had to make fun of that too, <laughs> I I then went looking and I found a couple of those old things. And it's just weird. You know, a person's voice, a person's material can transport you back in time. And yeah. if you, but if you haven't heard that material, it's hilariously funny. So there's, there's just... So I've been listening to some comedy albums and and um and that combination of laughing and crying because they're gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, like you can't we're get not gonna one. get any more from John yeah. Panette. We're not gonna get any more from Richard Jenny, who at the height of his powers, there's nobody that's ever made me gasp, like, please stop, because I can't catch my breath, because you're such a so good and every line builds on the last one. And and it was just, boy, was he witty and perfect. So having said that. It, it's weird to be like all this laughter. And at the end, you're like, oh, man, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm not used to having conflicting emotions as much that. But part of getting old is you, you start losing some friends. Fortunately. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, we, we had uh, Michael Stanley a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah. you know, big Cleveland star. Um, and they, they talked. I heard they were talking about him on the radio. I, I've listened to Michael Stanley, obviously heard his music he's never been one of my go-to, Oh, I've got all his stuff type artists. I know it, you know, but they were talking about him, how he could have moved to Hollywood or LA. He could have went to New York or some big city and recorded and been a bigger star, been in movies, more done, more producing. And also and he's like, no, Cleveland's my home. I I'm going to live here. Yes. So he was big in the way he wanted to be big. And exactly. very much honored and recognized for that. So that's, I've been listening to a little bit of him lately. It just made me think of that. That makes good sense. And, and I, honestly, I, um, I'll have to tap into you for what you would recommend because I did not know enough about him before coming to Cleveland. Colleen has always liked him, but I have like one of his albums and I think he's got 10. And so, you know, I mean, and I know that he was the guy that like elsewhere wasn't as big in Cleveland. He would sell out three nights at Blossom yeah. and stuff like that, you know, which is a big outdoor venue that it's pretty impressive to sell out Blossom. Yes. So I kind of want to, while, while there is a lot of revival in him and not necessarily in a ghoulish way. Sometimes when someone dies, things, prices go up, they become harder to find. Yeah. I'm hoping that because it's still mostly Cleveland, that people are kind of like honoring him and delighting in him instead of, well, I can make a buck off of him. Right. You know, well, that kind of thing. Honestly, so. cause I knew the kits that had been on the radio, you know, that's about all I really honestly knew. I went to Spotify and they always give the like uh, top five or 10, songs being listened to by that artist so i just started there and listened to those and then i went and looked through the list of albums and uh you know i i looked a little around online you know what's the most popular michael stanley album 
And I went to that one, you know, what's the dark side of the moon for Michael Stanley? Uh, Got and it. And that's probably what there. I'll do as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Delve into the catalog. Exactly. Nice, so. nice guitar work. Uh, good, good crunching guitar songs, you know, nothing yeah. outlandish or spectacular, but very solid rock and roll. That's in fact, that's what I've heard about him. Like ever since I knew about him was he didn't get the big break that, Bob Seger did, that John Cougar Mellencamp did, that he didn't get that one radio airplay thing that kind of took him to the next level, didn't move out of town, perhaps, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. So it, it really is, it, like Greg Kinn, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of people that really make music that I love, but they just were always one thing down, and maybe that's what kept them decent and authentic yeah. they didn't go down the hey i'm making enough money to kill myself with cocaine now hey i'm right. you know now i'm an insufferable jerk because everybody's telling me how great i am right <laughs> you know what i mean well, so you know i mean he wrote my town for cleveland and it's okay. almost an anthem where you know yes. going around cleveland so exactly that. i like that one much more than cleveland rocks you know what i mean which yeah. everybody always does from from uh sorry not the hoopla uh, who is it uh how can i not remember his name It'll Run come to us. <laughs> I, I want to say Rundgren, but it's not Rundgren. It's not. It's uh, he, he was part of Mata Hoople, and then, um, yeah, like I said, to... it'll come to us. Yeah. Besides that, I'm still having great success with original album classics. You know, the big combines, Warner and other places, continue to say, "Hey, here's five albums from an artist for twenty bucks, four bucks an album. How can I resist?" <laughs> so I just got Al America, special. for instance. <laughs> really, like, you know, and it really, it, it's it presses every button, checks every box on. He's a collector. He likes getting the meat of the order from these guys. He, and they're like, they seem to have not, they're not, uh, they're not cleaned up. Like they're not a Steve Wilson remix of something, but they're also like crisp, digitally good. They're not just, oh God, this sounds like scratchy vinyl. So I just got America, for instance, and I didn't realize how much, as often is the case, they have songs that were on the radio that everybody knows. Everybody knows Tin Man or Horse with No Name. But on these albums, there's so many other great cuts with like they have Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young level harmonies. They really sound great. There's really, again, some talented guitar and stuff like that. And so as I've listened to it more than once, it's like I just didn't appreciate them enough. They're one of those things. I only heard them on the radio. I didn't have either albums before this, but I kind of knew I wanted to have them in my catalog and my listening. And now I'm like, wow, I, I would have been more in support of them back then. I really right. like these guys. Yeah, I found know? a few artists like that recently. Yeah. Whereas there's been things like where you get the Black Oak, Arkansas greatest hits, and it's like, they have like one. They have one greatest hit. And everything else on the thing sounds like them, but it doesn't sound memorably good. Right. And so, sorry, Black Oak, Arkansas, to diss you so much, but there's some things that just... They're not worth five albums. They really have a one album greatest hits things, and there's not more depth. There's just kind of redo. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe and again, my musical well, sensibility is not everyone's. Oh, well, you're right, and <laughs> I mean, that, and that could be different for everybody. But there's definitely artists that you know we remember them, but they had one big hit. <laughs> you know exactly. And and uh, somebody also uh, in Agata Devita, Iron Butterfly. You know, we, I, I really have liked them and actually I've seen them in a club, you know, before and they were doing that last farewell tour and stuff like that. And another one where if you're looking for psychedelic rock, you know what I mean? They were a particular genre right. and where they didn't try to necessarily be that super melodic. They noodled around a lot, not quite jazz, but just kind of, but I really liked discovering things that I, I didn't realize how good they were. There's a lot of talented musicianship there, but they just got 
one song on the radio. And even then, how often did you hear that? That's the song that DJs would put on so they could go to the bathroom because right. it was 18 minutes long. You know what right. I mean? I'm going to go take a bio break, get a cup of coffee and come back and say, well, that was decent stuff from Iron Butterfly. I, you know I, what I mean? <laughs> I got that song on Rock Band because most of my kids didn't know it. And I'm like, come on, let's play this one song. They're like, no, no, let's do a lot. I'm like, why don't we play this one first and see how right. you feel? <laughs> Exactly. And then 18 minutes later, their fingers are burnt. Yeah. I said, no, what we need to do is we need to play this and then the full 2112 suite. Uh, and that will probably be good for the night. Two songs. Good to go. Exactly. It's, I just, uh, I, I, um, so that's what I've been listening to, but I have certain things that I return to because like you listen to the first Marillion album because, hey, there's three cuts on each side. I love things where it's not three minute little pop confections. I love it where there are seven and 10 and 20 minute songs and Spock's beard, beware of darkness. And in the, uh, uh, let's, you know, they're, they're just every cut on that album makes me happy that these, this group of musicians got together and they were so talented and they immortalized you know what I mean? Like there's this, it's really a perfect album where there's no filler. There's no bad cuts from start to finish. It's like, man, this all sounds great. And I love the lyrics. And this is a little bit of like a gentle giant homage. And I, I just, uh, sticks Equinox is a perfect album yeah. where every single cut is archetypal, perfect sticks. And it's before they broke it big with grand illusion, but you know what I mean? There's just right. so much good stuff. <laughs> there's a lot of albums that I heard, as an album without having known any hits or radio play. And I think of them as a complete album that every song means something to me. There's not one or two that are special and the rest are filler, you know, and that's I what I you. think a lot of the kids are missing with only listening to the biggest hits on Spotify, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And it's kind of funny. I, um, a friend of mine just posted about the neuroscience of music and that, you know, humanity has loved music for a long time, but why? And now they're finally getting to where with brain scamming and magnetic resonance imaging and stuff like that, they're finding out that music, it really does activate the pleasure centers of your brain in a very specific way. And that as you, um, uh, you can prove that it's causal because as they activate it, um, with or without music and like try to overflow it or underflow it, if you will, it really is that music is the thing that's causing the pleasure. So I think that one of the reasons that I still, I don't make my own playlists. I listen to albums all the way through is because I like that it's gets, you get on a train and you take the train to the end of the line from start to finish. And when I do a, a randomize my cuts, there's all manner of things where like, Oh, I wanted to hear the next cut after that one on the album. It's it segues nicely, and instead now I'm my mood changed too quickly. My expectation was different. Yeah. However, having said that, one of the reasons I also still listen to the radio when I'm in the car instead of having my iPod and all my millions of songs is because I like that little spurt of uh, incremental pleasure that comes from you don't know what's coming next and then a good song comes on it's like man it's been forever since I heard right. Dexy's Midnight Runners doing Come On Eileen and you crank it a little bit and it's just a surprise and I get a lot of uh, my my whatever serotonin and uh, yeah. all the other good things come a little bit from surprise so the combination of going to a concert live music where you don't know what they're going to do and they do that opening chord boom boom and it's like oh yes I yes close to the edge or whatever right. it's, there's a very cool thing about i've been programmed <laughs> to anticipate but then when you get a real cool surprise and 
one of the things I hate was when they take a whole bunch of their good songs and they do a medley. It's like, no, finish in the cage. Don't go into another song. I want to hear it because you, the climax, the crescendo of the song is so great. And now you took it from me. Right. <laughs> oh, well, well, you know what I found is some of my most favorite albums that I think of as albums and listen to as albums and right. you know, all the way it, through. It's yeah, a piece of work. The end of one song, I, I anticipate the beginning of the next because it's, you know, part of the whole story. Most of those I got through Columbia Record Club, <laughs> right? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, we have like you know, thirty albums for a dollar or yeah. for a penny or whatever it was, right. and then okay, <laughs> because they would send you an album or two a month, and you would mm-hmm. get those sometimes before they were doing the hits on the radio or before you heard them a lot. So I got to hear the album as an album without you know, oh, I heard these three hits, and that's what I focus on. So yeah. I do find like there's certain um I like Alan Parsons project a lot and there's certain like iRobot is one of those albums that I almost always I do. I listen to it all the way through. It's got a lot of radio friendly cuts, a lot of things made on the radio, but I like that. But then what I find is Alan Parsons also had the thing where he had a lot of the same musicians, but he had different vocalists and he was really canny with the style of vocalist was good for the song. So you'll hear this really is more of a ballad, more of a rocker, more of a plaintive thing. And it he I don't mind the dynamics of it's not the same vocalist throughout. It's actually, I think of it as kind of a little collection of things. And he was really good at how to put them in the right order, how to put them with the right vocalist and stuff like that. He's such a great producer, as you know. So, yeah. 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 Engineer. Yeah. Kind of like Schmoltz from uh, Boston. (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly that, that boy he was a technical wizard as well as i mean didn't he reinvent like the rockman amplifier yeah, yeah. Right? so he could have his guitar sound like he, what he wanted it to yeah. sound like yeah nothing it, on the market did is says well i'll rig one up <laughs> yeah the, it wasn't his the first couple albums he did everything himself like in his basement recording studio exactly except for brad delp and i think the him and the drummer you know, the, the vocals and the drummer were the ones that contributed. Otherwise, Schultz was kind of a Rundgren guy where he could play everything, and so he did. Right. right. <laughs> so, so what what have you been reading? That's uh, so I I just read a book called um, Funny Lines by a guy a guy named Alan Zweibel, and what it's about is he's a writer that has been around since the early days of Saturday Night Live and to date, and he the, the subtitle of the book is How I Helped Funny People Be Funnier. Oh, and wow. it's a cool, like a background look at, you know, he wrote for like, here's the original Saturday Night Live cast of Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner. And a big sub uh, run of the book is that he was good friends with Gilda Radner. They were very early on wrote and kind of like had a relationship, but kind of platonic, but they, they kept helping each other in the industry. And so just he, the way that he, talks about what it was like to be uh, in the background, you know, hearing his words come out from someone who became famous becoming them. That's very satisfying. He then worked with Gary Shandling on the Gary Shandling show. And he's written with like Dave Barry and Carl Hyacin, you know, and, and so his, it's not um, a small claim to fame. He really has been involved with some very cool people and in some big projects, but he's also humbly wrote North, which is one of the biggest tank movies of all time. You know, Rob Reiner, I think, had just done The Princess Bride and then maybe immediately did North or at least one movie soon after that. And it just was, that this is the movie that Roger Ebert's movie review was. I hated, 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 hated everything about this movie. 
And, and so it, that's kind of what a career is, is that you get these wonderful transcendent moments, years, five years, and then the industry can turn its face from you because, wow, you wrote something that made lost so much money. Now you have the, the stink, the taint on you, and it takes someone that believes in you to bring you back in. And so very, very good roller coaster ride, if you will, of this guy's cool career and he's a good writer. So you really, it's a good sense of, I would have been cool to be backstage with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <been. laughs> kind of behind the scenes, but big. Behind the scenes, exactly. And I love reading, you know, there's books like that about um, other books about Saturday Night Live, about National Lampoon, about um, kind of being there at the origin of things. You know what I mean? That these things didn't just happen. They People really worked hard to make Monty Python work and Second City work and things like it's that. Not all and, and so it's, it's cool to see flow. those stories captured. Yeah, exactly. Take some work. Um, I also have been reading the Lycanius trilogy, which Colleen actually got me this for Christmas. And I'm only on the second book of the three because each of the books is 750 pages. They are indeed like wrist, uh, uh, you know, I'm strengthening my wrists while reading these books. And it's your classic epic fantasy series. Good heroes, good villains, a system of magic. They're traveling around the world. There's mysteries, there's reveals. The cool thing about this seems to be that characters have lived for a long time and they've taken on different names over the course of time and in some cases they made themselves lose memories because they had gone down a really bad path and they didn't want to be that person anymore so then they find out that they're actually like the heritage that they have is not always been good and how do they come to grips with i almost destroyed the world i really hurt friends etc and so there's a whole bunch of not only the big sweep of things but really personal um considerations about like can you change as a person you know what i mean are you really always a hero or a villain can you can you be pushed so far that you do bad things can you out of neglect anyway they're they're really good but boy they're a big read <laughs> so that's my that's my book that i've been reading like maybe you know 50 to 100 pages each night as i go to bed right. depending on how good the section i'm reading is i read a lot or a little <laughs> as i go before i go to sleep so how about yourself? What's uh, a... I well, I've been reading several things. I don't. I, I tend to not focus on one book at a time anymore. It seems <laughs> it depends on how I feel for the day, uh, okay. which is weird for me. But whatever. Uh, the big book I've been reading is called Dead South. Uh, it's actually by a friend of mine, Zach Bohannon. It's the second in a post-apocalyptic zombie trilogy. Uh, okay. So uh, I actually got a copy of it early to review. And I've kind of let them down because the book's been out for almost a month and I haven't finished it to give my review yet. So okay. I owe him, but uh, okay. it's, I mean, it's, it's, if you like the walking dead and I was gonna say, want, dead sound, sounds walking dead ish. Yes. Okay. It's very much uh, zombies <laughs> everywhere. Uh, but the character is very interesting. Uh, John South is his name. Um, but I mean, you know, if you like post-apocalyptic zombie stuff, it's a great book. Uh, nice, easy read. Uh, it, um, and I don't want to take away from anything negative saying about it, but it's not uh, where you have to like super stop and, oh, let me consider that. It's a zombie B-rated movie type thing, you know, Got it's it. fun and a good a lot of people in the head. You're yes. going to be on the run. Yeah. Gonna, okay. But <laughs> he puts a lot of depth to the main character and yeah. he's expanding this character. So it's got a little more than most of the zombie stuff I've read it in the past. Very so cool. it's been, it's a, been a good read, but I owe him a, a good review. So I figured I'd mention it on the podcast and maybe a couple people will go get it to make up for that fact. <laughs> 
There we go. You know, I, I really, things tend to go in waves. And so oftentimes when there's a whole bunch of zombie books coming out, I'm looking for, okay, people who love zombie books, which are the three best ones out of these 10 so that I, I don't want to drink from the fire hose. I want to read the best of multiple right. genres and that kind of thing. So, right. okay. So dead South. Yeah. Okay. Very and good. Speaking of zombies and walkers, um, I don't know how much you ever followed uh, Kirkman's walking dead comic. It's, I have like the first 30 issues. It was starting to come out just when I was stopping collecting comics, oh, if I okay. remember right. And and one of the things when I started watching the series was, well, that diverged pretty quickly. You know what I mean? <laughs> that it wasn't at all just replaying the comic books, right, that they right. changed a lot of things early. Right. Okay. Well, I must say, uh, issue 100 of that comic, when I got to that one, I had to stop reading for a while. It Seriously, I was so distraught messed up i couldn't read it oh, for a while man. and oh, man. well recent... done on his part to yeah. evoke such a reaction yeah wow yeah. um and recently he ended the series i don't know if you heard that um, i did not know that okay. it was not expected after everything they'd been through it was a sudden and surprise ending and yeah, that it, he decided he was done. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not sure he talked about the reasons. I haven't read any of the interviews or anything. Okay. But it was it wasn't like we're leading up to this big climax and something's going to happen. You know it's the end of the series is coming. Nobody knew. It just you read it and you're like, Oh my god, it's over. And and, and he said, but <gasps> the one he said the one death because that was the walking dead, you never know who is gonna live and die. You could expect right. anybody to die. He said the one death that nobody expected was the death of the comic book itself. <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty good, man. I like that. That's pretty good. Exactly. <laughs> but wow. they've been re-releasing the whole series colorized now, which I don't care for. I liked it in black and white. So, and but white. they do have that. So, okay. I did see because he also wrote it that his invincible series just got made into an animated series. And so yes. I was curious about that because I thought that was a very good take on what would it really be like to be like a visitor from another planet and that you know, weren't necessarily benevolent? You were kind of like, yeah, I'm the advanced guard and you are all my pets until yeah. <laughs> you know, the comforters get right. here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Colin binge watch almost all of it on Sunday and he loved it. He loves the comic. So he oh, loved man. the series. As you know, I don't want to binge, but I'm, it's good to hear that he liked it. Yeah. So it wasn't like after the first episode, he was like, oh, this didn't no. you know, fulfill and the promise. One of the cool <laughs> things that uh, he said Kirkman did was after he got into the series and got further along, he's like, and eh, I made a couple mistakes in the first couple issues, things I didn't think about. So he corrected it and did them the way he wanted to in the uh, show. Animated series. Yeah. That, so that is kind of cool when people get a chance to revisit. And like you said, you know, okay, I, I will yeah, look for so that. You know, that again, I, I have many of them. And so I'll look forward to seeing what he did to, to fix things. Yes. Okay. And, yeah. And one last thing. Um, I don't know if you've caught this. It's based on a comic book. It's a TV show on sci-fi called Resident Alien. So I've heard of it. Okay. And also it's a big video game franchise, right? I'm pretty sure. That maybe I'm uh, maybe okay. that I'm not right. sure about, but okay. do you know who the star is of it? No. Alan Tudyk. Oh my, yes, from Firefly. Right. So and now stuff you got to like. go check it out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was happy to see him in the Doom Patrol series yes. as Mr. Nobody because he's one of those guys, he's got a very distinctive look and he's got real acting chops. And I'm like, please don't let him just languish. People no, use this guy. He's, he's you know, so he's good. ready. <laughs> yeah. okay, very I loved good, him in Tucker and Dale. Uh, that was great. Yes, but exactly. Gina was watching 
resident alien. I didn't know what it was or whatever. I walk in and I see Tudyk. I'm like, oh, cool. And I watch a minute of it. I'm like, is he playing an autistic character? She's like, no, he's an alien trying to be human. And I was laughing because I'm like, oh my God, he comes across as autistic, which is a great take on aliens because I'm like, oh, there's so many things that that could represent. That they study others' behavior and mimic it instead of having that they really naturally say, I would like a hug now. Yeah. You know right. I mean? So he, he takes over for this doctor and okay. uh, the police chief shows up and says, um, he's just in a cabin on vacation. And the police chief shows up and says, I need you to come look at a dead body. He's like, well, go get your ME. He's like, it is the ME. He's like, oh. So he goes and he walks over, he looks down, he says, okay, I have looked at the dead body. Can I leave? (laughs) So I was pretty hooked. That's very good. I will look for that resident alien. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and it's kind of funny. Let me harken back to this. I, one of the, you know, sometimes you have an itch that you haven't been able to scratch for a long time. When I stopped collecting comics, there's a series called next wave that was coming out from Warren Ellis, one of my favorite writers. And what it is, is it's a collection of kind of like second tier heroes. It's machine man. It's Elsa bloodstone. It's uh, captain Marvel, the Monaco Rambo version. Um, they are, uh, uh, a team that's been put together by an organization called hate <laughs> the like, and I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's, you know, supposedly one of those that's trying to like police the world and make it better. But then you find out that they've actually been bought by the beyond corporation and they have devilish uh, motives. And so they break away and then they're trying, but the, the cool point of the series is that the characters are all like, jaded world weary you know they're not gung-ho hey let's go beat up the bad guy they keep commenting in the comic book about the absurdity of the situations they find themselves in it's like really we have to fight fin fang foom i thought that he was just you know i thought he was only a legend like made up to scare children and and the the they meet all manner of villains that are also, they got an inherent absurdity to them, like Modok, you know, the big, super intelligent head creature. And that the wry sense of humor and the, so it's a kind of a parody of comic books of all those usual justifications for, we're fighting this out of nobility. And it's like, there's a certain amount of mercenary. There's a certain amount of, just get this over with, just kill him. I just want to go home. I'm I done. want to have a beer. You know what I mean? Right. And they, boy, they're, they're like perfect angsty, a good take on comic books. The artwork is great. So I think they only lasted like 12 issues, maybe, you know, like two, one to six, so one to six and seven to 12 are the two album editions that I got on Hoopla. They're worth seeking out Next because way, they really yeah. will. They're, they're fun. They're yeah. just so much dark humor fun. <laughs> that sounds like something I'd enjoy. So I'm going to have to look that up. So have you exactly. seen the trailer for suicide squad two? I just saw it as a matter of fact, you know, and of course, Harley and they have the whole one of the joys of Suicide Squad is you know there's a certain amount of turnover because people get killed (laughs) so they have a chance to introduce uh, some same characters you know I think Rick Flagg is still there but a bunch of other characters and it looks pretty good I I I think it looks better than the first one actually yeah so I hope that if they're really trying to build a franchise out of it they you know they have the wall Amanda Waller and and they so that Scott all the right elements, right? It's got a team of superheroes. It's got government conspiracy. It's got good villains. I, I think that the first one, the villain was the weakest part of it. And if they really have it be that they have a, like, why would you get a whole bunch of lethal people together to fight something? It's not, it's, it's gotta be 
a really like almost like a world-class or really psychotic type villain. And I think that's what's going to happen, happen for any hero. You have to have a good rogues gallery in order to be an yeah. accomplished hero. Yeah. So Batman, the flash and others are really good because of the, the bench strength of their rogues gallery. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, so uh, the, the problems with the suicide squad. And I think we've talked a little bit was nobody knew any of those characters the movie seemed a little rushed and disjointed at times. It's like they weren't sure what they wanted to do with it all. And I didn't even realize what exactly is this bad guy that, that, I mean, what's the bad guy want and why do they have to kill him? And it wasn't super clear. It was just kind of there. Right. So so if I remember right, wasn't he like some kind of Mayan or Aztec guy? Enchantress. And the enchant, but this is her brother, yeah. right? Or some some family relations? You know what I mean? Well, that, they, this- were, they were after her, but the big fight was, yeah, her brother, like huge statue, exactly. Something. And it was like whatever. So the fact that you and I read a lot and pay attention and still can't figure out what the heck this movie was <laughs> there about you go. is a testament to how shoddy it was. Right. With here's the motivation, here's the characters, <laughs> whatever they just did with Zack Snyder's. Justice League yes. to give backstory to the various different characters and have you understand or care a little bit about them more instead of just throw six people at the screen. We're going to right. put a bomb in your brain, so you got to do what we say. Well, that thanks for the backstory. You know, yeah, what right? I mean? Yeah. <laughs> this one, it looks like they realized what was good about Suicide Squad, and they're doing more of that. Okay, uh, you know, give me the comedy. It, yeah, for a movie like Suicide Squad, it's got to be humorous action. It can't just. You can't take it serious. I mean, come on. Yeah. I think we have seen that, that certain series, they when they gave it the first shot, they had to do the origin story, which is kind of like the way it has to be. But then yeah. Iron Man 2 or uh, Deadpool 2 or whatever, they got to take the next step. And I often enjoy that. Okay, now that you've got the necessary out of the way, what's the elective? What's the right. best story you can tell out of all the years of comic books they've got? And they've done a pretty good job of that. Not everyone. There's been some number twos that weren't that great that were number two. Ha, ha, ha. But uh, you know what I mean? I, I like when they, like, I don't know, th- Thor has built well, Iron Man has built well, whereas the Hulk kept seeming to be like the same movie over and over again. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, oh boy, gamma rays. You know, I just, anyway, I, <laughs> so we'll see. I'm, I'm so much looking forward to being in a theater again. I, we I'm win. getting my second shot of the COVID vaccine this Friday, Colleen, a week after me, two weeks after that, we're both going to be like I'm able to go out into the world knowing that we're 90% safe. Right. And, you know, we, everybody has these fantasies, kind of like the winning the lottery fantasy. What's the first meal you're going to have if you can <laughs> go out into the world now? And one of the things I, I want to go to a comedy club, as long as it's one where there's still some separation and some circulating yeah. air. I don't know that I want to go to a concert because I don't think you can have a concert without it being pushed together, thrown yeah. in crowd. And that's not good. Yeah. Whereas a nice, like I mean, we won't be able to go to our favorite buffet, but we can go to the steak dinner that Colleen should have had three years ago when she got her big bonus and that kind of stuff. Right, you know what right. I mean? There's all kinds of things. And indeed, to see Suicide Squad in the theater, I've always loved a big movie in a big theater with the surround sound and the huge screen where it's overwhelming. That's the experience to me. As much as I love them on, the, on my TV at home. It ain't the same as being right. like I agree. just overwhelmed by it. We I went love and that. saw uh, Chaos Walking over the weekend uh, okay. in the theater. Um, and that's something maybe we could talk about next week, tell you a little bit about it. We didn't hit anything on Easter. So maybe we talk about Easter after Easter. After Easter, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. all right, man. As always a pleasure. Take care, Stephen. You too. Okay. Have a good week. You bet. Same for you. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. 
come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.